On the microphones, pure and uncensored American straight talk. Never quit. You're locked and loaded with Chris Peranto and Ian Scotto. This, this is the Battle Line Podcast. Which is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Switch is on Battle Line Podcast, and uh, we have a really big guest on today, Jack Carr. Really excited for it. I met Jack, uh, I don't know if it's been like a year or two years. It's been a couple of years, but now he's on his third book. He's doing big things, and I'm excited to talk to him, man, and, and that'll be in just a little bit. Yeah, i just like to hear from him. I, <clears throat> you know, I, I haven't followed, and I'll be completely honest, man, I haven't followed Jack's career uh, as far as like some people have. Um, but uh, being, uh, and I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, brother. And I know people are like, you jackass, you don't know. Navy SEAL, I forget which team he was on, though. That's the damn I, thing. I believe he's I been in remember. several, I believe he's been in several teams at some point, um, which I, yeah. you know, we could get into with him. Well, that, we'll ask. If, I, and that is a common thing, right, to serve in several SEAL teams. Cause when I, you're I, in, I, yeah, yeah, when you're in a team, when you're in a SEAL team, you could jump around. Well, it's, it's common either just to stick at one. You know, because we talk about the, the, the nomenclatures, the colors, you know, you've got blue, which is Dev Grew, Green, Delta, Red, Rangers. Uh, and then you've got the, we call them the vanilla. It's, it's, it's a term of endearment. Some, sometimes the, 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 the other SEAL teams it, take it as a derogatory term. I, I don't see it that way. But we call them the white soft, we call them the vanilla teams. And that's all the other ones, the white soft teams. Um, and that's all the other SEAL teams except SEAL Team 6. But uh what I'm getting at is that, yeah, sometimes they'll stick on one team, and, and a lot of times those White Sox teams are high-speed. said, I worked with one guy uh, that was uh, on one, Mike Haynes. Uh, he was also a GRS team leader. The dude the dude could have been on blue, easy, could have been on blue, and he just he did, didn't want to, and he was tremendous. But then, And he stayed on pretty much one team his whole career. Um, but then you do have guys that jump around just because they want to go to different coasts, and, and and you can do that in the teams. But Jack would know more than I would, being he was the SEAL and I was with the 75th. But yeah, yeah. No, and, and either way, though, but I, they would be able to tell you which teams are better, which teams do what, what specializes here or there. But bottom line is, is that if he was in the teams, regardless if he jumped around, he was he was still a SEAL, and he was, I, he was top believe- notch. Yeah, I believe he did just from, you know, it's been so long since I last spoke to him and saw him in person. But I if I remember correctly, that's the case. I'm sure he'll let us know. But nonetheless, I mean, 20 year career serving in Iraq, Afghanistan, the Philippines, several different positions of leadership. So Jack is continually writing. And but you'll get to hear from him, not from me. He'll he'll tell you all the books that he's done. And a lot of you already know a lot of our listeners are, are avid Jack Carr readers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, he's not in the category of, of the many guys, you know, including yourself yeah. who have done yeah. autobiographies. His stuff is all fictional. Yeah, it's it's and I, you know, I think about that now. I'm like, man, you because and I, I come back to the fact that we are a lot cooler. I mean, we are we aren't as cool as we think we are. A lot of people they oh, you're always getting in there, always doing such cool shit. No, I'll be honest with you, 80 percent of the time we're playing Call of Duty. <laughs> waiting for something to happen <laughs> and then there there's and no guy will tell you any different if they are they're full of shit 
But uh, you know, I, the thing is, when that, with that twenty percent of the time when you are getting after it, yeah, you're really getting after it. It's 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 quite exciting or dangerous or whatever. But it gives you the chance to have that experience when you're sitting there. You're, you're able to think about what could happen, what if, and wargaming it, and be able to put it in a book. Uh, and that's what because he, he writes. He writes fiction, but it's still military CIA. It's CIA. It's the spook stuff. It's all the secret yeah. squirrel stuff related. You have that mentality because you can put some truth into it because you've done it. But then you can also add the fiction of like the J- Jason Bourne stuff because you're like, man, what if we really could do that Captain America bullshit that we could that we saw in the movies? And it, it you it, I think a lot of a lot of veterans that were in special operations or or did missions with the agency or the NSA. Honestly, they could. They have such a tremendous. First of all, they're, they're most operators are extremely smart. They, they follow that stereotype. What people say, ah, oh, you're a knuckle dragger. No, they're extremely smart. Um, except for me. Other than that, but uh, but they 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 have the talent to to really get things out there to make it interesting, to make it exciting, and they also have the real world experience that you can put some truth in there, which. Honestly, I think adds credibility to any book, and, and and people dig that. And Jack, of course, has found it. We also had a help me out, brother, General AJ General, General AJ yeah, General. It's another one who does fiction, but has some can put some truth in there because he's been around it, he's been part of it, he's been in other countries, and and I think it it really translates well to a fiction secret squirrel, uh, bending bullets, Jason Bourne type books because. Because it does, they they know it, so they know how far they can push it to. It's just completely ridiculous. We're okay. I'm done reading this stupid shit. <laughs> to to where you know, hey, this is actually it could happen, and maybe it did happen. But exactly, we're yeah. Fiction book. Yeah. Well, yeah. that that's uh, one of the interesting things too is I'm sure we're gonna get Brad Thor on at some time. Yeah. And yeah, the, yeah. the way I you know that we know our I know Jack really is through the connection with Brad Thor and the team at Simon and Schuster. Uh, we've had Brad Thor on, on, you know, the previous show I was on and they were saying, you got to get Jack Carr in studio. And what I know about Brad Thor, Brad Thor, much like me, is a guy who didn't serve, but has that connection in this community. And he'll tell you himself when he writes a book, he'll call Jack Carr, he'll call Marcus Luttrell and he'll say, does this sound realistic? Does this sound is this, realistic? Did, I get yeah. the, did I get the lingo wrong? All that type of stuff. And that, that's it right there. That's perfect. I mean, you basically said in a nutshell, it took me five minutes to say. So perfect. <laughs> there, there, there you go, man. And Simon and Schuster, they do get a lot of the military fiction. I, I'm, I'm with a different publisher. They're one of their major competitors in Grand Central Publishing, and and they have honestly, we need to, I, I need to throw some because we've had a lot of Simon and Schuster authors on. I got to get with Grand Central, get over there with Kate, and get us, get us some uh, military authors from <laughs> from Hatchet and over on the show because they've got some tremendous authors as well in the same same genre, same stuff. That they and they're a tremendous publishing company. So uh, yeah, well, you know we need to do that because I, I feel bad because we've had a lot of Simon and Schuster writers, and we need to get some Hachette writers on there because I think I think they they've got some good storytellers too over there. And uh, so I don't know, that's something to think about. I think I guess we'll 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 have to spitball that maybe for July. See what I can do it, on yeah, that. It's one. one of those funny things because <laughs> it even now with two shows a week, there's so many people we want on. There's no shortage yeah. of people. You know, I know that people still want to hear the guys who you talked about in your last book. People yeah. still want to hear some of the other people involved in Benghazi on the show, other than Tig, uh, you know, and there's no shortage of great people to get on the show. And I think, you know, we're doing our best in getting some interesting people. Um, and this month is going to be stacked. 
Oh, you know what I wanted to get to uh, was so two episodes ago, I didn't get to it last episode. There was all that speculation over Kim Jong-un. Is he alive? Is he dead? And it turns out that the reports were wrong. It, it looks like Kim Jong-un is alive and well uh, and says he was avoiding public appearances because of coronavirus. It's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, if he's alive it, with me, brother, you're like, eh. He's alive. He's alive. He's dead. He's dead. I, I, sorry. I was, to have did you see the Trump uh, like, tweet about it? No, you know, I do. I, the only time I find out about that <laughs> shit is when you tell me on the show, you know, I so did. Trump what wrote, happened? he was like, I, for one, am glad to see him alive and well. And it's just, it's kind of weird to go from, he was the one calling him <clears throat> rocket man and little rocket man. And to now I, well, being on good terms with the guy, glad to see him alive. It's strange. Is that what the tweet was? Because you know that yeah. you know you know Trump. Trump can be a condescending motherfucker, dude. Maybe it was. He's like, yeah, he, yeah, but well he also because, gave that speech he where he said, "I fell in love with him." Uh, you, yeah, I don't know if you remember uh, that speech. I, uh, I, you know what, I, I. I don't. I, I guys out there, I, 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 right here, like, I'm don't telling you, shit. it's like shit. I was like <laughs> politics. I give two shits about politics. Just make sure the economy is going. Stop with the hibbity bibbity virus bullshit. Get the figures right. Uh, make sure there's TP. I'm good, dude. That's, that's all I care Because uh, I just I want to at least make sure I'm accurately quoting the tweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty much exactly what I said. He said, "I for one am glad to see he is back and well." Exclamation point. Well. I, I, I don't even know how to respond to that because, because with the Kim Jong Un, I, I don't think he'd be saying the same thing, same thing to a, to a, to a United States politician or a president here for any means or general. Um, I, don't, I mean, him and Trump seem to be on very good terms, and <clears throat> it's, but but the question is. Are they dismantling the nuclear program? And yeah, if they're not, then who gives a shit about? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, I'm gonna fuck if you guys love each other or not, dude. Take, are you not doing nuclear tests anymore? You're not gonna have the nuclear bomb. Are you not moving forward to an Armageddon? What? Or if you're not, then okay, good. High five. Love each other to death. If you're, if you are still moving that way, Kim Jong Un, then, um, yeah, I, I don't give two shits about you to be honest with you in fact you know, i don't i don't really care for you so I, that's weird yeah it is weird man um yeah. i don't know man I, I really don't i don't understand i don't understand half of it and but politicians i don't understand half politicians anymore half and, and trump I, I hate to say trump's a politician because i do agree with uncle ted i don't think he is a politician he's not in the true form of grew up in politics he's not he's not at all which makes which makes him to be honest with you, makes him to, to most people likable that's why they like him that's why i would like him is because he's not a politician i hate politicians they're they're backhanded backsliding mealy mouth talking out of the back of their neck type people I, i've been around them guys i know it i've been sitting in the bottom of the white house getting going through damn interviews and interrogations with select committees from anywhere from sitting down there with elijah cummings and and speaker boehner to devin nunez and adam schiff and and it's just bullshit. The Trey, ah, Trey God actually was the one that was quite honest with me. He's one I still, but again, we go back to, he's not in politics anymore too. I think that, that says something right there. He's like, screw this. I, you know, this is, this is just backhanded, back deal, shady shit. So, um, Dickman getting back on Kim Jong-un. Yeah. That goes back to, uh, if he's not dismantling his, his nuclear program, I don't give two shits about him, but we, but he better still be on the shit list for the United States. Cause that dude's that dude's six, you know, he's six bottles short of a six pack. 
Is that so? I, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, bro. I, I, yeah. And I don't know what Trump had, bro. You're going to have to keep feeding me the information because I don't know how to take it. No, I mean, there's tweet. nothing. I, I really it's don't. a tweet. There's nothing else to really <clears throat> say about it. I'm just quoting the tweet, you know, take it as it is. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm not even giving any spin on it. It's, it's, I think anybody would tell you it's bizarre. It is. Uh, For, you know? I, I, yep. I, I, that's why I'm at. I'm, I'm like stumped right now. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say on it. I've said a ton and I've really said nothing about the tweet because <laughs> I don't know what so, to say. I'm, it is completely bizarre. Yeah, you know what this was the other thing I wanted to uh, mention before we get into uh, you know stuff with Jack Carr and not to be like self-absorbed because I do always ask Chris like anything you want to get into, so I'll get into. No, something you do because I talk all I've, the time, dude. I take up eight percent of the radio. Right? No, go, go, go. No, that's it. not true, man. I think we do a good job splitting things, but uh, yeah, I I spoke about it last show during the intro. I am getting back into the running thing and and waking up every morning and trying to wake up earlier than I was. I was waking up super late. And going for that run, and yeah, the uh, yesterday was seven miles. Today was five awesome. miles. To be honest, I want to get back into that half half uh, marathon territory like I was in 2012. Because quite honestly, with the whole switching up of routines here, I don't get that much enjoyment out of like lifting kettlebells by myself at my house, no. which is what I was doing. Going for a run by myself, I get a ton out of. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna switch over things, get some more running in, and. Hopefully, you know, by uh, maybe the end of the year or so, I'm back to running what is the equivalent of a half marathon and, and maybe doing it again. The last time I did it, I said, I'll never do another one of these, but maybe I will. Dude, that, that's awesome. You're, running is spiritual. People don't believe it. it. They, they are. Working out the gym is to me is something you do after you run or it's just an addition to running. Running is the main workout. Running is a mental game. Running again, it allowed, but it also allows you to clear your head when you're out there. You know, you, you, whether you're in the woods or you're in a city, regardless, um, whether you run with headphones or you don't run with headphones, it allows your mind to, to think. And you are, you're out there thinking. You're making, you're making, your your brain's working. Your endorphins are kicking in. You feel good. So, man, awesome to you, dude. Seven miles, and seven miles is no joke. I don't care what pace you're going on. Seven miles is a long way. And if you're doing seven miles. Dude, awesome! You're gonna, you could go run a half marathon right now by being able to do mm. seven miles. You, you would, yeah, you would suck, suck, you would suck through. It, dude. <laughs> well, that's why I tell people when they're training for anything, you never, you know, every once in a while you want to hit that distance that you're training for, but most of the times you want to stay, stay below it because you don't want to overdo it right at the beginning. You don't want to kill yourself. And, and when you become an avid runner, then you figure out your own paces, but brother, you're, you're doing awesome. That's amazing. Thanks, man. No, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause the, the one time I did the half marathon, everybody was asking how are you training for this? You know, like what's your pace like with a half marathon? And I really had no idea. I mean, I was yeah. running probably five, six miles most of the time. And I yep. figured I'll, I'll figure it out when I do it. And, and I did, and I kept a decent pace. Um, I have it on record somewhere, but it, you know, it was, it was about average. Uh, my for my first one and averaging like my uh, my age yeah. range for male and I, I was happy with that. I'm not I'm not looking to break any records. I just thought it was it's just good to accomplish a goal. You got to constantly be accomplishing goals in life, as we say. And some of those some of those half marathons out there, like the in uh, the marathons and the half marathons, Oklahoma City is a tremendous one. The rock and roll marathon. They're, they're fun. They make them fun. There's stuff on the side of the roads. There's, there's sometimes the rock and roll marathon. There's bands along the whole way. The Oklahoma city one, if you've never ran in Oklahoma city, you wouldn't think it's, it's as cool. It is. It's so cool. Oklahoma city has some of the most beautiful 
beautiful city areas to run in. Fine though, the, and the and of course in the Walt Disney World one. I mean, we're running through the Magic Kingdom. So wow, there's a there's a Walt Disney yeah, marathon. Yeah, marathon, wow. dude. And, Wait, you, have only, you done that? The only I I have just been at the end of it. Nope, I have never done it because I've been looking at it going. Do I want to run this thing? No, I don't know. But it, I've seen. It the seems course. like it was it was literally course. made for you. <laughs> I know that's perfect. That's, that's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it. I, I saw the and the course looks awesome. I'm looking at the only downside. I do my I try to do my due diligence on these on these things because some of the marathons are just like the Nebraska one here. They could make it a lot better, um, and the half marathon. But it's it's really the stuff they put on the side of the road that cheer you on that makes it fun that makes it go. And the Walt Disney World one, yeah, I, I want to do. I just haven't had a chance to do it. But I have looked at the layout. I looked at the course. It's fantastic. Of course, running through the Magic Kingdom. The only thing the complaint is, and I look at the end of people that have ran it, is they don't give anything. It's like people are, I mean, it's Walt Disney World. And you do. You want it. You expect something. They give me a Mickey Mouse doll or a shirt or something. They just you get let a medal? You, you get like a no, little they, they just let you. they just let you keep your, keep your, keep your uh your number you know the little town like that's kind of messed up <laughs> yeah. I, I would think i mean they, i know they're, they're such geniuses with merchandise you yeah they have a cool little yeah thing. a cool like something they would give you for it. and they, and they don't but uh i i will i know i haven't run the wall but i but that's that's on my bucket list to to do that and uh and i will i'll get it done here and, and now that things have calmed down my my world has this has been great this whole break has been great for me because it prioritized again what is important in my life, and that's my family. So I am going to be cutting down a lot of the travel I used to do, a lot of the courses, the speaking events, doing – you know, I'll do enough, but not where I'm over overreaching because that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to do the Walt Disney World marathons because whenever we did go out there on vacation, the last thing I wanted to do was – was work anything i i was just so tired i just wanted to lay around and rest and and now that i've got a lot more rest i got 11 hours of sleep last night yes nice. fantastic 11 hours wow. 11 hours man um this shows how and for those of y'all in the battle line course shows how much i put a lot of effort into the battle line tactical course when i teach um but uh, you know, now that I've got the energy back, yeah, I'm, I'm knock it out. As soon as they open up Disney World again, though, we gotta wait till Disney World's open back up. But brother, let's we should do it together. If we got some, do the Battle <laughs> Line podcast, and run with our shirts on. I would honestly, or I'll take my shirt off. You can keep yours. On. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> you, and, know but, what, you know what? You totally do it. Is uh, <laughs> is Will Cow is such a oh. Disney. Believe yeah. it or not, it's such a Disney guy. I remember our our mutual friend Tom Basile, who some of you may know, saying like. Andrew doesn't seem like a guy who'd be at the happiest place on earth. But, oh, yeah. So Will Cow on his uh, Facebook the other day was, I don't know enough about Disney. I've been there several times. But he's like, you know, question for when this is all over. Which suite should I be in for Disney or like, this hotel <laughs> or this hotel? And I was just like, dude, go someplace other than Disney. It's the only place he vacations. Like, I've known the guy for like a decade. And the only time he leaves New Jersey or New York is to go to Disney World. I'm like, there's I, other things to explore. And he's like, ah, oh, but Paul, his youngest son, he's like, he's just getting to understand everything. So I'm like, all right, well, have fun, man. It, it, it's right. He's right, bro. I can't argue with that because that's kind of the same way. And I've been, I'm a DVC. I tell Wilco, he needs to join the DVC club, the Disney Vacation Club. I know it's like a timeshare thing, but it that is, it's completely worth it. And you do, you do save a ton of money by being part of that club and staying at the places that you can stay, the, all the resorts on Disney, not just the hotel resorts, but the actual resorts where you're at a condo on Disney. 
and all the perks you get from it, dude, I, I've been going to Disney since, again, every year I came back from a deployment. That's the first place I went because it was, it'd get me back in the right mindset, being happy again. You're, you're still happy because you're with your kids. So since 2004, I've been a DVC member and going back to Disney World and Disneyland every once in a while, but most of the time Disney World. And I still haven't done everything. I still, you, I still haven't seen and done everything you can do at Disney World. That's how much there is to do there. It is. You still, I still have not done and stayed everywhere on the property that I want to do. And fishing there, bass fishing, brother, you, you're fishing from and a perspective on the lakes because, you know, you've been to Disney World. There's lakes all in the parks. So coming in a boat and fishing like in Epcot, but, but seeing the, from that perspective of from a lake looking outward towards Epcot. So it's, it's different. It's neat. And you're catching some big ass bass. <laughs> so there's other things to do there than just go to the park. I fish. My favorite thing to do there at Disney World is actually go on fishing excursions and you're going to catch a lot of fish. My daughter, when she was five, caught a fit, a blunker, a huge largemouth bass that was right. almost as big as her. And then we caught it right on the dock, near the dock of the, uh, uh, where it's the New Orleans dishes, the French Quarter, the French Quarter Resort, which is, is people don't even know you have that. French Quarter Resort, yeah, there's a whole New Orleans district that emulates the French Quarter on a backside of Disney World. And a lot of people don't know that because there's so much shit to do there. So I can't argue with Will Cal, man. I feel the <laughs> same way. I feel the same way, and I love it. And going jogging there, running there on some of the, when you're staying near the resorts, um, it's awesome because there's running trails everywhere. New Balance sponsors Disney World's trails, so there's New Balance, you know, the shoe company New Balance. There's New yeah. Balance trails every 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 resort you go. There's a map of a New Balance trail that they've mapped out for a distance. It's awesome, dude. It's awesome. That, so much that's fun. great. Uh, I know we have Jack Hart standing by, so yeah. uh, before we get to him, and I should actually ask, and I, I should point this out for the audience, you know, once things are open again, I will be back in a studio, sound quality will, will be back to normal, um, but am I cutting out at all? Is everything no, you sound good. You sound, great, you sound sexy, you <laughs> Well, uh, thank you, man. Well, <laughs> with, with that, before we bring on Jack, who I know is standing by, You've heard us talk about them in some earlier episodes, and I'm really excited to say Everyday Grind is a sponsor yeah. of this podcast. Everyday Grind is an online coffee business right by Chris in Elkhorn, Nebraska, which is why I was joking with Chris. <laughs> about Chris like, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll run over there and see Josh take a drive over. But yeah, uh, the owner and founder, Josh Meyer, is inspired by everyone out there who is grinding every day for themselves and for their families. His vision with this was not to be like other coffee companies. It's not. And by the way, you know what I should say? Am I sounding very New York? Should I, is it because I'm no, thinking you, coffee? You, yeah. and, I, and you guys are like coffee. You say. I, I'm I, you're you're it, right in the middle, dude. You're like yeah. coffee. Yeah, right there. Coffee. You're good. You're good. <laughs> well, uh, so with that, it's not only about having a nice cup of coffee. Everyday grind coffee is a friendly reminder to wake up motivated, ready to grind. Josh feels he can relate to a lot of people who are grinding every day. Over the past 10 years, he's worked in sales, advertising, and marketing. He always grinds no matter what he's doing. And this all led to Josh's passion. It took him a while to figure this out, but his passion is to motivate others. Josh enjoys being around and meeting like-minded individuals. Josh is a huge military supporter, always has been, and that's why he wanted to be a part of Battleline Podcast. I actually got the chance to meet you not too long ago, Tonto, at a book signing in Omaha, yeah, in Omaha. which was actually at uh, Inner 10, a local gun range. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic gun range. But, uh, Josh, I still still buying his coffee, still uh, 
brewing it in my little press and and uh no it's fantastic it's good it's it's mild um got that medium roast taste it's there's no like sometimes you can get skunky when you do yeah. when you're doing a press and, and press pressing having a good grind of the, for a, a press is hard to find a lot a lot of time and it's perfect it's always it's just always mild mild but you can still taste the coffee and uh josh of course being here in Elkhorn, he puts a lot of work into it he's a small company uh, and, and that says a lot too, because he's, he's, he's working his butt off right now, trying to get it up. And I think it's doing very well. And, and I'm a, I'm a true believer. And if you go check Josh out and you check everyday grind coffee, he actually does some workouts too. Yep, so yep. you see what kind of person he is. So if you want to get a new workout, go follow everyday grind coffee <laughs> and, and you'll see him doing some workouts and putting that on the net. And, and Josh is, is uh, in shape. It, again, it just all comes back to his work ethic and, and it shows like all of the companies that we have, they put their heart and soul into it. They, they work hard at it. They believe in it. Well, it makes it good. And it says a lot for the quality of their product and everyday grind coffee is no different. So, and I'm drinking it right now. Oh, nice. Actually, drink it, nice. drink it every day. <clears throat> I always do because I don't want to fall asleep on you, in And I got my everyday dry <laughs> coffee right now in my, in my Mickey Mouse, one of my Mickey Mouse cups. We're just nice. in Disney World. Which I don't it. see because you don't have your video. Huh? No, nah, uh, dude, I my phone will die. I'm sorry. I, I will take out. your word. Um, but yeah, no, great guy. And, and I know you signed a book for his brother-in-law and himself. Yeah. And now he has a promo code for us. So go follow Everyday Grind Coffee on Facebook and Instagram at Everyday Grind Coffee. Go check out the Everyday Grind podcast, which he is now doing on Spotify and the Anchor app. A lot of people we've had on, we've inspired to do podcasts. Josh, Gary yeah. Brugman is now doing a podcast. Good, good podcast, so, yep. Yeah. yeah, check those out. I mean, if, if you know, you've got plenty of time to check out all this great content and uh, order online the medium dark roast he has available. Uh, not only do both of us love it, my family has really loved Josh's coffee. So everydaygrindcoffee.com. Use coupon code BATTLELINE to get 20% off, and that's brand new. He just put up that coupon code for us, BATTLELINE, for 20% off, everydaygrindcoffee.com. You guys are not going to regret it. I know there's plenty of choices out there for online brands putting coffee out, but uh, his is just so on point. Yeah, I guys, give it a try. And he, and he packages it nice. You don't have any problems with with it coming in damage because there's sometimes you have to worry about that. How's the packaging that stuff, it's it's safe. It gets to you no matter where it's going. It's going to be perfect when you get when it gets to your house, and and you're going to love it. And and I do. I recommend doing a press with it. I know some will do instant with the instant coffee, but I still dig a press. And you know, it's still six six seven minutes to do a press. How long does it take to do an instant coffee on, on a drip? Six yeah. seven minutes, and it it just it it adds to the flavor definitely. So give it a try, man. Give it give everyday grind of coffee a try and. You're, I know I sound like an infomercial, like the sunglass commercial. That's true, though. But you're you're going to stick with it. You won't go back to anything else. Super affordable too with the promo code. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. So with that, let's uh let's bring on Jack Carr. I'm excited to talk to him. I got you. How's it going out there? <laughs> Doing good, man. I'm the only uh, one who has my camera on, so I you know I don't I don't you know we're just using audio. Uh, so I'm I'm freezing my balls off, man. Get back in fucking Nebraska. Okay? I was just bitching. I was just being a whiny bitching ranger again. I was like, damn, Ian. 
Oklahoma teaching that course. It was 75 degrees. It was beautiful. I was out there running. I come back home to Nebraska. It's 50 and fucking cold. Son of a bitch. I just, I suck again. I swear. I'm looking right now. It is, uh, it's 61 and sunny here. Just went for a run, as I was saying. Oh, you shut shut your whore mouth, Ian. (laughs) Shut up. Just stop rubbing it in. Uh, So with that, I I should, of course, give Jack an intro. Uh, Special guest this show, retired Navy SEAL. Turn New York Times bestselling thriller writer Jack Carr, latest book is Savage Son. And before we even get into that, I saw last night, huge announcement. The Terminal List is going to star Chris Pratt, which is based on your earlier work. And that's going to be available on Amazon. That's that's an awesome uh, announcement. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it's been quite the quite the whirlwind. Um, launching a novel in the midst of uh, COVID-19, trying to adapt at the last second to a, uh, a book tour reimagined turned virtual uh and uh and yeah it hit the new york times list during that and then the pratt announcement it was kind of crazy well how, how are you going to do i with, with the virtual book tours I, I, I and we were talking about this earlier we've had a lot of people from simon and schuster I, a lot in perspective coming on the show and i'm with one of your competitors i write for uh, hachette hachette books and um I was like, well, God, we got to get some Hachette people on there. They're not going to want me to write another book because I'm having all these sermons. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we toyed because I, you know, all, all the book signings and, and the speaking events stuff, I, of course, were postponed because of this. How are you doing a virtual book tour? I think that's that's that is something that's brand new. It's unprecedented. And you know, we discussed that with Hachette. I'm curious. Me personally, I'm curious how you guys are planning that out. And if Simon and Schuster is ahead of the curve, I'm going to go back to that shit and say, Hey, they're doing this. Why aren't we doing this? And, uh, but I, but I'd like to know, cause it, it is, it's something that's completely different. And how can you, cause you want that personal experience on a book, on a book signing. Are you really getting it on a virtual tour? And that was my question. It was like, are they really getting that? I, I, so I'd love to hear about it, man. What, what have you guys discussed as far as your book tour and, and what are you doing to make it that personal experience because you're really, you're not, you're, you're, you're on a video camera. How does that work? Yeah, it's crazy. So it's kind of a holistic type approach. So it's not just uh, transitioning to to video and trying okay. to make it okay. like a, uh, like a in-person book tour. But uh, like, I think my book was one of the, you know, the first ones to really come out during the height of the crisis yeah, uh, yeah. in the fiction side anyway. And uh, so it, you know, we planned on that in-person book tour, you know, because you're shaking hands, you're thanking everybody yeah, and then yeah. you're getting that associated content from them and that word of mouth that goes along with that. Yeah. So it's uh, and to have that go to zero, you know, it doesn't just hurt <laughs> me as the author. It also hurts those independent bookstores out there. Oh, yeah. Right? depending yep. on you to bring people in and not just buy your book, but maybe a couple others and, and yep. all that. So um, so really when this kind of came to a head and we realized, okay, there's not going to be an in-person book tour, uh, it's time to adapt. So just like, you know, just like on the battlefield, I looked at it kind of like the enemy is adapting to us and we have to adapt to, to that enemy and try to do it faster uh, than they're doing it and look for emerging opportunities and gaps and all the rest of it. So I just kind of took a breath and figured out, hey, how do I do this? And, and, and it was important to me to do it in an appropriate way, meaning uh, a lot of people are out there suffering. A lot of people are losing their jobs. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that income coming in. Uh, so how do I do a little good along the way as I launch this thing? So I came up with uh, the idea of doing a uh, limited edition uh, Savage Sun book plate for the third book that you can only get 
through those independent bookstores uh, that are on my site. So I try to push traffic their way as they try to adapt awesome. to these changing conditions as well. Uh, so pushing that traffic there, even though it's not foot traffic, uh, sending them there. And then I have some merchandise on my site, like hats and bottle breachers and these cool bookmarks from a veteran-owned company that has a 556 sure. round attached and had 100% of those profits going to the COVID-19 response fund. So That's trying awesome. to do a little good at the same time, something to talk about in interviews. And then the book signings, I really did a kind of a, uh, I guess, a blanket approach. So I just didn't set up a oh, Facebook Live or an Instagram Live or a, a Premier Collectibles type Live or a Shop Talk ah. Live. I did it all um, because I knew certain audiences would uh, be able to figure some of those out, not others, because uh, they're all a little bit different. But it uh, just doing all of them, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, I do as much as I possibly could to get this <laughs> thing out there. So it was kind of all together and all you know it was, it was crazy but it seemed to have worked out it's interesting because you know we were planning on having jack in studio or at least i was because i'm in new york chris is always in nebraska um you know and, and through david who you work with yeah works brad thor and all that he's been telling me for months you got to get jack in studio i got to meet you you know yeah. when i was with the previous podcast i, I think it's been either a year a couple years ago it's been two a while. years yeah yeah, it's, it flies by, man. But yeah, everything changed. But I have to say you are adapting. And, and really, the uh, the evidence of that was when I was on Instagram and I saw Joe Rogan putting on Instagram. And I mean, Joe's following is obviously huge. He's like, this book is amazing. Go read Savage Son. And then the next day, you know, that he posted it up, he has you on the podcast, which, by the way, is like the only podcast which is having you in studio because He's got uh, testing there. I want to hear about that. <laughs> I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about that without getting uh, anybody in trouble. But uh, yeah, I tested negative. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> and he's been he's been great. But what's also really cool about this is that you know the the three big things that I was kind of like you know kind of hoping for in the lead up to launch or for that first week uh, were to, to to be on Rogan, uh, to have Chris Pratt announce the series or Amazon announce the series, uh, and then to do some sort of a national TV show like a Fox and Friends type deal, something like that. Like those were kind of the big three and none of them happened <laughs> like, <laughs> zero, none. Uh, in that first week, which is the one that, uh, you know, where all the pre-orders count yeah, yep, list and yep, all that yep, sort of yep. thing. So, so none of them happened in the lead up to that first week or during that first week, they all happened after. But now looking back, I am so glad they happened after because now no one can say like, oh, you just made the New York Times list because because uh, Rogan had you on or you just made it because they put you on Fox and Friends or yeah, they just yeah. you just made it because Amazon announced or it. It was all grassroots. It's all it's all hunters. It's all tactical shooters. It's all readers. It's all of that grassroots word of mouth. Someone taking a risk on a new author, telling a friend, having that person take a risk, telling their friend uh, in person and virtually whether they have like one follower or. Or 10,000 or whatever, uh, but it was all grassroots word of mouth. Um, and so that I'm really proud of that part of it. Although I would have taken any of that help from any of those big three. <laughs> yeah. up, don't get me wrong. But, uh, but now it's kind of cool that it happened just after because uh, it's another wave. Um, also, uh, people that would not have known about the book and but getting it on that New York Times list is uh, is important and not because it, it's a readership that it's hard to get to otherwise. Uh, it's people that aren't necessarily hunters or shooters on Instagram. Uh, that sort of thing. They're not, uh, they're people that look at that New York times list and that's how they find out about yeah. the books that uh, they want to read and tell friends about and talk about. So, so it is important in that sense. And also I grew up reading all these guys. Like I knew I was going to do this 
from a very early age. It was, I wanted to serve my country in uniform as a SEAL, and I wanted to write fiction. And so I grew up seeing New York Times bestseller on the covers of uh, books by guys like Tom Clancy and Nelson DeMille and David Morrell wow. and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and all these guys in the 80s who had uh, protagonists with backgrounds that I wanted to have in real life one day. So it's kind of surreal uh, making that list. And it was a, yeah, it was a special day when, when I got that word. Oh, that's a, that's amazing, bro. I, I, I want to you put out because we, we talked about a little bit, not so much what's going on with the book, but how you just your, what you just talked about, you, you really overcame, you adapted, but it's, it's keeping that initiative. We talked a little bit about it. We actually talked about a little bit about it every show, but how, you know, even when you're faced with adversity, you found a way to uh, overcome and how that came from, you know, were you born like that? Or did that come from this? And I know where it came from, but I want, I want our listeners to hear that. I want our listeners to hear that even in the worst case scenario, it doesn't have to be in combat. You still find a way to, to, to accomplish the mission and they succeed and then even excel as you have done in this, this, this crazy time right now. And I hate saying uncertain time because I see it too much on TV uncertain. I just, I don't want to sound like a TV commercial again, but what, what made you do that? How do you keep that? People need to be able to continue to fight on and drive on and I just want you to give them some advice. I want you, I want to hear the positiveness from you. And, and a lot of our listeners need that, really, especially at this point in time in their lives. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And I think and I think uncertain is a good way. That's why we see it so much is because because it's true. Uh, people don't know who to trust out there. You're seeing yeah. politicians say things on one yeah. side, then the other. You're seeing doctors <laughs> say things here yeah. and there. You're seeing the World Health Organization. You're seeing numbers from all these other countries. No one can trust any of it. And, yeah. you know, that lends itself to that word, to uncertainty. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, the, the books, even before all this, the books were resonating with people um, because the feelings and emotions that the protagonist feels come from a real place. And a lot of that, particularly in the second one, True Believer, everybody's going to get knocked down in life. No one is not going to get knocked down. You're going to get hit and you're going to get knocked down. And what defines you is getting back up, how you do that and moving forward. Um, and that's really incorporated. It's incorporated into all the novels, but particularly the second one, which deals with transition and really a violent redemption for the protagonist. But uh, but we're all going to get knocked down. And so this, yeah, that going into this, things were looking good. I uh, had it, uh, this book tour planned out a year in advance, uh, that sort of thing. And then boom, here comes COVID-19. Uh, <laughs> everything canceled. Now time to pivot, time to adapt, time to drive forward, because we don't just want to survive something. We want to prevail. Prevail. As, yeah. As, no, we want to prevail in a gunfight. We're going to prevail in life, not just survive, not just stumble through it. Um, but I think that all came, I mean, it was just kind of innate in me from an early age to want to be able to provide for my family, uh, to be able to defend my family. All those things that humans have been doing since the beginning of time, um, it, it, they were just kind of innate in me from a very early age. And I think some of that is because my grandfather was, he was killed in World War II. Uh, he was killed off Okinawa in 1945, near, near the end of the war. But I grew up with the, the, the silk maps that they used to give AV. And yeah. the Corsair. Uh, I grew Easy. up with it. pictures of his squadron, black and white photos. Uh, like I just knew that one day I would join the military and follow in his footsteps. So that was like innate from an early age. And then just getting outside, I was just drawn to the wilderness, drawn to the outdoors, and not just to you know walk along a path, but to live out there, to be comfortable out there, to uh, to know how to survive out there, to help others out there. So uh, it's just been that foundation from the earliest memories that I have. Uh, and that just translates it translated through the seal teams obviously and that reinforces all those things uh but now in that scenario much more part of a team obviously 
sure. And then moving forward into today, like uh, I don't expect not to get knocked down in the future. Like I know another punch is coming. Yeah, you <laughs> and, know it always uh, is. <laughs> that's how life is. That is part of it. Uh, so don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised when you get knocked down. Like even with the Amazon announcement and the series, I'm keeping my expectations very low. Uh, <laughs> in that uh, I expect it to go off the rails at any time, and I don't want to be disappointed when that happens. Uh, if it gets made, I'll be pleasantly surprised, and that'll be wonderful. But uh, at the same time, I'm not going to be devastated if it doesn't. I'm going to keep moving forward. It's, he's not saying to always set your standards low so you're never disappointed. We're not saying, we're not saying <laughs> no. that, guys out there. This I'm, is Hollywood I'm, specific. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just, just hope, plan for the worst, hope for the best. I, how many times have you heard that? And I've heard that yeah. within the community. That's, I mean, that's pretty much how you go in anything. But you, you said something that every one of our guests, because and every one of us successful in their own right, has always said move forward you're always moving forward you never stop you never stay stagnant no matter what happens get up keep moving forward even if it's these small baby steps keep moving forward and if there's a theme from our show our shows i mean in my shows it's that is that we try to stay positive because we have guests on here that have never given up no matter what they're faced no matter what adversity they're faced with they just like ah, ah screw it okay i got knocked down I'm just going to keep driving on and you've done it and you're doing it now and and i i do recommend it and savage son is the one that if, if I'm correct, you know, help me out here. That's the one I, I would honestly recommend people to read in this point in time because of that being knocked down and, and picked up. Is that is that correct or am I off, brother? Maybe I got the wrong book. That's the latest book, Savage Son. And yeah, they all deal with getting knocked down and getting up and moving forward. I mean, that's okay. kind of a that's a sub theme through all of them because it's a and that's why it resonates with people because they're going to they people have been knocked down in life and they're they have to figure out what they're going to do. And so the book is the same way. The books are the same way because they reflect, even though they're 100 percent fiction, uh, they represent uh, things that I've been through in life and things that I've taken and then just applied to a fictional narrative. So gotcha. Uh, yeah, and that's I mean that's what it's all about. You can either you can have a you have a, a choice to make in life. You can either positively affect those around you, whether you're in crazy scenario, whether you've dealt with something horrible in the past, uh, or you can drag them down with you. Like that is a that is a choice. Uh, and and imagine going through life, going through however long that is, however that that gift, however long you're allowed to be here, um, negatively impacting people that you come across throughout that time, or <laughs> being a positive influence and and inspiring them and helping them move forward uh it yeah it, it's a distinct well choice that every one of us gets to make so uh you know we try to keep our our circle here with my my family to those that uh that uh, positively influence those around them and uh you know but but you can do the opposite too and it's amazing especially on social media because i'm still fairly new to it uh how <laughs> negative people are it's oh just my god you're, dude it's i have done tests and i've tested this out for the last five years i hate social media but you got to have it you're gonna have to you know you got to have it do a post a negative post see how many likes it gets see how many shares and then do something positive and i've done it i've done the math the research it's almost three to one three to one on a negative post that gets reposted that gets the just the hate that's out there right now oh and so having it, it's it's terrible but it can't get better. We can fix that. And that this is one way we're doing it right now. Talking to you is say, Hey man, don't, you don't have to repost the negative sides all the time. Just, just get on, be positive And, and that's the way we're going to beat it. But it, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's, it can drive you nuts, man. It really can. And honestly, I don't know if your books are hundred percent fiction because 
I, I've known some traitorous CIA officers. Just forgive me. <laughs> I, I have. But so I've met a couple of them. But I'm, I'm playing out there, CIA. I'm playing. Just don't <laughs> anybody get pissed off. I know I just butt hurt a few people out there. But but I, I brother, what you're saying is tremendous. I, I'm, I'm loving people hearing this right now. So thank you. And I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to lick your butthole by kissing your ass or nothing. I'm just saying, hey man, you, you're doing good things, and and I appreciate that because we need more people like that out there, like yourself, doing and being positive. And this story right now, you're still being oh, successful, and everything went to shit, and you still found a way to. You're still finding a way, still overcoming all the all the turnover that that happened with, because of this this damn Corona thing. Yeah, I, I want to get into the specifics to. of the of the uh, book itself in a little bit, but I, I figured we would uh, get into this because during the intro, Chris and I were talking about your background, 20 years of service in Navy, Naval Special Warfare, deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, the Philippines, and you served in several teams, if I remember correctly, right? That's right. So I came in enlisted and uh, started at SEAL Team 5 before 9-11. So we got there and we all thought that we were going to get issued our pagers and all this amazing gear. And then they'd go <laughs> off and we'd fly off and, you know, do the save the princess yeah. op and then get back in time for beers. And, you know, that wasn't really how it happened. They kind of just handed you a mop when you crossed that quarter deck and, uh, hey, new guy, go clean that bathroom, go change that light bulb, paint that yeah. wall, whatever it is. And uh, so it was a little different. But then, you know, September 11th happened and then we got to do the things that we thought we were going to do when we came into the SEAL team. So started at Team 5, enlisted, and I uh, was a sniper there. And then uh, went to OCS, did three months of doing exactly what you do in boot camp, except you get yelled at by a Marine yelled instructor <laughs> instead, instead of a Navy one. And uh, then right back to the SEAL teams, because somehow folding underwear and you know, T-shirts somehow qualifies you to lead me in battle. So right back to the SEAL teams. And then because I'd already gone through BUDS, already gone through SEAL qualification training, already done two deployments, one post 9-11, uh, it was right into the fight from there. So it was... Uh, it was uh, if you were going to become an officer, it was a good dude, timing. Timing worked out. Um, so then I went SEAL Team 2 on the East Coast and then finished up my time as a troop commander at SEAL Team 7 uh, back on the West Coast. And then that's where I started writing. And during that last year when your job kind of becomes to get out of the military after you drop your papers and you kind of go in that separate pile uh, and you go to dental and medical and get right out of secret programs and, you know, turn in your gear or whatever else you have to do. Uh, that's when I had some time. And so that's when I shifted to uh, to starting to write the first novel, The Terminal List. So that was uh, it was a good run, but it was also uh, very evident that my family needed me we have a special yeah. needs middle child who uh, oh, needs 24 wow. 7 full-time care forever uh and my wife had been dealing with uh that through all the deployments and not just the deployments but the whole workup where you're wow you're a month in the desert doing desert warfare training you're on a two-week jump trip you're on a couple week dive trip you're you know doing mountain warfare whatever you're doing to get ready for uh, that deployment you know she's back home dealing with uh, our middle child and dealing with everything else while i'm out there running around uh, doing the doing the deed so uh it was very evident after that last deployment to iraq when i was a a troop commander, so an 04, which is a, a major in the other services, a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Yeah. And it was uh, it was time to, to shift focus and uh, get out and take care of my family. So it wasn't uh, wasn't something that I agonized over. And then knowing that I wanted to write from early age, I just knew the path that I was going to take. And, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't waste any bandwidth worried about how hard it is to get published, kind of like I didn't worry about how hard it was to get to BUDS or get through BUDS, get through Hell Week, uh, get to the SEAL teams, get to wherever I deployed to, Ramadi, wherever else. I didn't ever wasted bandwidth on how hard it was, how dangerous it was, whatever. Uh, I focused on being the best operator that I possibly could. And then before the Navy, I focused on the things I needed to do to get there, to prepare, or what I, back then, before the internet, uh, the things I thought I needed to do to prepare myself 
for buds, for seal training. Um, so same thing with writing. I never wasted any bandwidth on, oh, how hard is it to get published by a major publisher? How hard is it to get picked up, uh, uh, optioned for a film? Like none of that was part of my calculus. It was just like, okay, it's hard. Boom. All my bandwidth is now spent doing the job, preparing myself and making this the best book it can possibly be out of the gate. And in my mind, I always knew it's going to get picked up by Simon & Schuster. Emily Bessler at Simon & Schuster is going to be my editor. She's uh, She was Vince Lynn's editor. She's Brad Thor's editor. Uh, and I knew, oh, Chris Pratt's going to pick this up because he's the guy I want to play the part. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Anton Fuqua was going to direct because he uh, he did Shooter, he did Training Day, did Tears of the Sun, Equalizer, Magnificent Seven. Awesome, awesome guy. And those are the only two people I thought of. And now, yep, picked up by Simon and Schuster, Chris Pratt playing the lead, <laughs> and Anton Fuqua directing it. So uh, things nice. can come full circle like that. That's a, I didn't know that. I didn't know you had a special lead son. I didn't know that you're. Yeah, and that's amazing. Your wife, I, brother, uh, you know, you, you're a warrior, of course. And and coming from a ranger, you know, telling that to a seal, that that hard, that's hard for me to do. Man, I'm kidding, brother. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm fucking right. But but knowing your wife, that is amazing, man. Wives are amazing, and she she's tremendous. Tell, I hope she's listening. If she when she does listen to this, from me to her, she is the ultimate warrior. Wives are what keep us keep us going. Wives are what keeps the deployments going. We step back and finally get away from it. And we look back like, man, I really had it easy. I was the one that was deploying all the time. I didn't have to worry about the kids back home. And I didn't have to worry about the bills. I just had to make sure I didn't I didn't die and I came home. I mean, that's what I had to worry. That was, that's it. One worry. And she's back home taking care of everything. You got a tremendous wife there, brother. And, uh, man, I, I, I can't believe that. I, that that's astounding to me because I didn't know that. And that, I know how hard that is with keeping a relationship going, but also with your special needs son. And, um. Bro, how old is he now? If you don't let me ask, I think you said it, and I might have missed it. I, forgive me, I'm getting old and senile. I'm almost fifty, so, <laughs> so, so I'm right behind you there. Uh, so no, he's twelve now. So we have a fourteen-year-old uh, daughter, twelve-year-old uh, son with the special needs, and then uh, wow, uh, the nine-year-old as well. So he's right there in the middle. But a crazy wow. part of that is like we didn't know we were in the military. You know, so we knew when he was born something was something was uh, sure. off. Didn't quite know what it was. Uh, of course, military medicine, we're trying to figure it out. We try to do some things on the private side, too, going to Cedar sinai up in L.A., trying to figure yeah. this out. And then seven years into it, um, after my last Iraq deployment, I get a call out of the blue from Ross Perot, who passed away this last summer. And uh, he sounded exactly like Dana Carvey impersonating <laughs> Ross Perot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's awesome. I uh, one of his financial advisors knew a friend of ours, and uh, he walked into to Mr. Perot's office and said, "Hey, sir, I think you want to you want to hear this story." And hands him a printout of an email from our friend, and and uh, Mr. Perot said, uh, "Get him on the phone." And so he calls me out of the blue and says they're going to put together a team of genetic specialists uh, at Southwestern Medical Center outside of Dallas, and they're going to fly us out there and uh, figure this out. And then he hangs up, and I'm like, "Whoa." What just happened? And uh, <laughs> an hour later, his lead doctor calls and said, uh, you know what? Hey, send us everything you have uh, on your son from Cedar sinai from the military, anything else you've done, and we'll put this team together, and then we'll send the G550 out for you and try to fly you out here, and we'll see what we can do. And uh, sure enough, about a month later, they sent the G550 and uh, had a nurse on board for our son, and we got on there and flew out. And uh, that's why the G550 is in my latest novel, actually. Uh, oh, wow. And then, uh, yeah, landed and uh, met Mr. Perot, and and uh, he sure enough, he had a team of genetic specialists there in Dallas that figured this out. They sent our blood all around the world, and they found a uh, researcher in the Netherlands who had just discovered the specific genetic mutation, and our son was the 13th in the world that they'd ever wow. died of this. Yeah, so. Wow. 
Yeah, incredible. And actually bring that into the, the second novel, True Believer. One of the uh, characters has a has a child with the uh, the same genetic uh, condition. So uh, once again, these things are all they're they're all they're fiction. They're hundred percent fiction, but there are personal elements in there. That, yeah, that, that well, resonates with people. You you know what's crazy is I mean I think for a lot of people they just. And, and, you know, the media kind of spins things to that one, you know, one person is known for one thing and that's it. And I think the general public just knows Ross Perot as the rich guy who ran for president and, you know, people say spoiled the election for Bush. Yeah. But when you hear a story like that, it tells me Ross Perot is a true patriot and cares about his yeah. fellow man, cares about veterans. Oh, yeah. And he did that for things like that for so many veterans out there, never seeking any recognition for it, um, but countless veterans he did things exactly like that for just an, an amazing guy i got to say hello to him again on my first book tour when i passed through dallas and he still had a picture of our son right there on his desk uh which was incredible just an, an amazing human being and uh people can go back and read ken follett's book called on wings of eagles uh which is about ross perot and getting some of his employees out of iran in 1979 um so just yeah an incredible story incredible patriot naval academy graduate and he's been uh since that time he's been just Connected to the military, special operations in particular, uh, for for all of his life, really. So yeah, fantastic. I'll never be able to thank him or his family enough for what they did for us. That's just, bro. I, I'm I'm still at all. You you guys are you and your family have all my prayers and blessings, uh -huh. man. I, as much as like much as God allows me to give with all the mistakes I've made in my life, man. But I I tell you what, I I'm impressed, uh, even more impressed with you now. And I I how is it? You said with him and and what can you tell me what does it do I, i'm i'm curious and i just ask questions because i am curious yeah with with his with his with his ailment what does that cause what is it what does he what can he do I and mean, always i know he's got he's like his daddy he can do anything and i know you pushed him that way but are things that, that he can't do that he has problems with and, and how do you overcome those as a father how do you overcome and how do you help because you are you're a tremendously positive individual that's why you're successful how do you do that as a father and all you listeners out there that may have special needs children, listen, listen to uh, listen to, to Jack here and let him tell you how he's he's helped help them continue to make a positive difference in his son's life. And I want to know because I, you know, I have a four year old, a 15 year old, and I'm always trying to be a better father as well. So what do you do? What what aspects do you how do you how do you teach? How do you train? How do you train? I'm not trained. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. But, but can, can you can you go into that a little bit if you don't mind? If it's too difficult, I yeah. understand. But I, I know. Absolutely. Hear. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it manifests itself as a global developmental disability, meaning um, and there's not that many people out there. Obviously, he's the 13th. I'm guessing yeah. they're up to about 100 now. But uh, but there wasn't there's not that there's not that big of a pool to study. Um, but it manifests itself as a global developmental disability, meaning he's smaller physically, um, uh, mentally, uh, wow. he's probably maybe like a two year old, maybe. Um, and, you know, so he'll need help eating, uh, going to the bathroom, uh, get zipped into the special sure. uh, bed every night. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's I mean, you need someone right there on him every single second. So I'm in my office right now doing this. And on the other side of these doors in my office, my wife is out there with him right now, um, just making sure that he's he's safe uh, and uh, he's getting fed and all the rest of it. But he's a sweet little guy. He also makes little jokes. Uh, so, yeah, he, he, like, awesome. if, if he met you, he did. Uh, he, we, we said your name. He would put a, a Z on the, in the front of it and then he would just start cracking up. So he has these little jokes that he does. <laughs> 
awesome. uh, he's on his iPad a lot and he gets, yeah. uh, he looks at all these different languages. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a mystery, like what his brain is really doing in there. Um, but he's a sweet little guy. He makes jokes. He just needs help doing everything forever. So that's kind of how it manifests itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, for us, I would look at it like, you know, we have to look at it in a, you know, hey, we were given him for a reason. It has to be that we're strong enough to, to handle it and to ha- uh, that condition and to help him reach his full potential, whatever that may be. Like, that's our mission in life. Uh, but there's also the other side, which is raising the other two kids so that their childhoods aren't solely defined by their brother's condition. Because okay. sure. uh, when you're solely focused on when you have someone that needs to be taken care of, who's 12, that needs to be taken care of like this, uh, you know, you can. Um, I, I can see uh, that if you had two other kids, it would be very easy for them to feel like you're you're always focused on the special needs child. Um, so knowing that, um, we take steps to ensure that we get out there and we do things um, with the other kids and uh, look at it as, hey, you, we are all in this as a family. We're in this as a team. And uh, he is sandwiched between two amazing other kids. And there's a reason for that. Uh, so hopefully it makes us all stronger. Hopefully it makes the other kids, well, us as a family, uh, more sure. loving, more compassionate, more understanding uh, going forward. So that's yeah. uh, so we just, you know, it's just kind of the cars we were dealt and you got to play them the best you can just like anybody else no, it sounds like it's grown you as an individual as yeah. well uh i i want to get into the book itself because savage son getting high praise from joe rogan in itself is huge uh i'd love to hear about where you got the uh, idea from the cia versus navy seal uh, narrative and and also if people are wondering if they didn't pick up the terminal list should they start with savage son should they start with the first book uh, what would you recommend yeah, Joe started with a third one. Um, so I, I, I always like to read things in order, but oftentimes I do discover a series mid-series and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And then I go back and I start at the beginning. So uh, I'm guessing other people are like that as well. But there's only three books now, so you can go back and uh, and grab the first novel and don't have too much to read to get to the latest one, Savage Son. But interestingly enough, uh, <laughs> Amazon picked it up and guess who's out of books? <laughs> Amazon. Amazon. I, <laughs> oh, no. Like, like, it's, good though, for this it's good though, man. It's good. Well, I guess you never know. I mean, we talk about it in terms of it being a good problem to have but then you know how many books did they have how many books did they have exactly <laughs> yeah, that's right that's what i was gonna say because i we and I, I remember uh books a million ran out of books once but you know it was like yeah well that's fantastic but they only bought 200 books right so so i'm like well not really because i mean why they only so now i get it but so that's it's we're gonna stay positive though we're gonna say that's a good thing that they had ten thousand books and they went the first week let's just stay positive they're out of books (laughs) so they're out of the first one they're out of the terminal list uh and i think they're out of the hardback true believer also but you can uh, still do uh the audible right and uh, yeah audible Audible just made the New York Times list. Audible list. They have a special one. Uh, yeah. One. They have an Audible list. So that just yeah, made yeah. that it's great. Uh, Ray Porter is the narrator who just knocks it out of the park. He's fantastic. The first book audio was up for audio book of the year. So it was crazy being back there in New York, putting on the tux and uh, seeing the book up there next to right. Stephen King. Like crazy. <laughs> that is. That's and awesome. Insane. But uh, but where these came from, um, particularly the second book, if we're talking CIA specific, uh, the second one, True Believer, was inspired by something that happened to me in Iraq in 2006, where I was working for what can uh, can best be described as a covert action unit attached to another government agency out there. Sure, sure. Uh, so you're working with indigenous forces <laughs> type thing, and uh, I was the only military attached to it. We had a bunch of, uh, of course, uh, other government agency people that were doing most of the work, and my job was to deconflict battle space, do uh, tactical communications uh, uh, in yeah. tar 
that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so during that time, we had one guy uh, from the indigenous side of the house who was like head and shoulders above his peers. He was a squadron commander uh, for this sovereign Iraqi unit. And he yeah, his English was amazing. Uh, I mean, he, he looked like he was out of central casting. He could do the close <laughs> he could do the close target recce stuff, you know, bring back that. Wow. Uh, and but most importantly, he could make decisions under fire, uh, which was unique. Um, I don't know if that's your experience as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard. They, a lot it, of those uh, people that we work with, because in a lot of those countries, making uh, decisions under fire, deviating from the plan, taking risk, if it doesn't work out, wasn't necessarily rewarded if it didn't work out. Yeah, it they, wasn't like learn from our mistakes and move forward. It was kind of like okay, right. off with your head, off with your hand, yeah, something very, like yeah. that. <laughs> So, uh, it wasn't it wasn't conducive to a good good learning environment at all. No, that's it wasn't right. conducive no. not yeah. at all. Didn't encourage them to take risks on the battlefield and adapt. <laughs> but this guy, he did. Uh, so that made him stand out to me. He was a great guy, got to know him. And then years later through the grapevine, I found out that he disappeared. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Uh -oh. What if I was to take this and to fictionalize it and to have him disappear because he was upset that we left at the end, end of 2011 yeah. Yeah. and maybe something happens to his family. Uh, maybe he works his way with uh, refugees up into Europe and maybe he takes those skills that he was taught by the U.S. military and other government agencies and uses those now against the Western world. So that kind of laid the foundation for what happens in my second novel, True Believer. So uh, to answer your question, Ian, some of that came from, from real world, of course. Of course, it's all fictionalized, but it's inspired by things sure. that have happened to me along my path. So, um, so that's really where that uh, comes from. And then also the, the continuing theme of dealing with politicians and senior CIA officials that are uh, uh, not necessarily the uh, that are the, on the antagonist side of the house. I'll say, uh, you know, it's, it's not that hard to make a politician seem evil or uh, a senior <laughs> CIA bureaucrat. You know, seem evil. Like it's kind of uh, yeah, they're kind of fodder for that sort of thing because there's so many examples. Of, uh, uh, that disconnect sure. between that level and the guys that are doing it on the ground at the tactical level. It's it's funny because it's true. That's all. I'm laughing so hard. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> and and you know with with the you know the uh, the uh, your guy that inspired you, that's quite possible too. I, again, because you don't find that often. You don't find honestly an indigenous, especially Iraqi. I, and I found that more so with Iraqis than with the Afghanis. And maybe my experience was different because we worked a lot with the NDS guys there in Afghanistan. And, and for those that are NDS or like they're kind of their CIA people when we were in Afghanistan, Iraqi, but you did find that in Iraq more. So when you found somebody that was capable, it, my, my first thing was, gosh, did, was he trained by somebody else? Cause obviously <laughs> he wasn't here. Who's, who's been getting trained by, was it our people? Or was he getting trained by, you know, the Iranian, the, the Iranian forces, or did he get his training by the Chechnyan for you? Know, what, what's going? So there always was the the the, uh, the the spider senses went up, but that being said, you know, I, you never knew because I, I never knew what happened to him. once once we'd leave. It's like, well, I I really don't know what's going on. You know, it's not my problem. And I I hate to say, it, but that's what you do. You come back, it's not my problem anymore. For, and and you feel that way with with the locals until you get more time in. When your first time is like, well, I'm just trying to do my job, so um. To, to, to have that and that book, just let you guys know out there, reading the books, man, just think of it that way. It's, it's quite possible that could happen. That's why you're a tremendous writer. We and, me and Ian were talking about this at the beginning of the show. Like That's why your books are so good is because you can pull the stuff that could have happened, and it sounds it, you stop, you talk the lingo, you've been there, you've done that. It sounds correct. It's not totally outlandish that you have some guy reading a book, even though you know it's fiction, especially that's been down range and says, man, that shit could never happen. 
where yours right. is like, yeah, this could happen. And it's so outlandish, but you know, it, you're like, wait, wait a second, wait, that, that's possible? Yeah, actually it is. And, and I know you write it in such a way that it comes across that way. So I, what I'm saying to guys is, is you have read, read Jack's books. And when you read them, they are fiction, but maybe not. I'm not saying they aren't. I, I don't want to get you in trouble, but they are fiction. But he, but it's it's possible because the world is such a crazy ass place, and politicians are such just my. I'm saying this. Jack is not. I am saying this. Politicians are dirty motherfuckers. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, but I, I. That's why again, fantastic, and I, I want people to read your stuff because, and and there and it's it's entertaining, and again, you have that personal experiences that you aren't getting super crazy with your write-offs write-ups that there's no way that could happen. Like you're not bending bullets and shit like that. (laughs) So, but but it's it's great to hear. And I, I I know I'm thinking when you're talking right then, just like man, memories just coming back and, and it's, it's making me smile and feel good. So I appreciate, I just appreciate the conversation with you right now, man. Thanks. Oh man. I appreciate that. And you know, I get asked quite a bit. People ask me, Hey, what is uh, like, you know, what movies are realistic or (laughs) do you ever miss it? You know, they ask that, they ask what's realistic. And then they ask, you know, do you ever miss being in the SEAL teams? You miss going down range, that sort of thing. And, you know, I know a lot of people say, you know, I miss the guys or I miss the mission or I miss, you know, you know, whatever. Um, and for me, I flipped that switch. You know, I was like, I did that. I, that was something I did. And now I have flipped that switch and this is what I do. And that past informs what I do going forward. Hopefully it makes me a better citizen. Hopefully it makes me a better father, better husband, better writer. Um, but that's what I did. And this is what I do. So I made that clear distinction. But I bring that up because the only movie that made me for half a second want to get back into it with 13 hours <laughs> no, yeah i went up there and saw a pre-screening of it and i was on the what it was a paramount lot or whatever that Par- anyway, it was paramount, paramount yeah, yeah, yeah so i went to paramount lot watched it and i was for like half a second when i was walking out of that theater uh, that was the one and i think it's because of that time in iraq in 2006 working with that other government agency yeah and yeah. Had such a just just in a, such a visceral experience and just such a <laughs> It was just such a highlight of my time in uniform, um, but I think that's why. But that was the that's the only one. That's the one I always recommend and point to uh, when people ask me those those couple questions. I I appreciate that, and that's a, we we wanted we were on set. We were made sure things were good. We we spent time right helping write it. We wanted to make sure, and that's what we wanted to tell. And I I was a little skeptical with Michael Bay. I'm like Michael Bay, are you kidding me? Come on. And we met, but then we met him. Like the dude is awesome. Love that guy. And he loves, and I, I, I was a little jealous out of all the special comp community guys. He loves seals the best. So <laughs> there you go again, but he loves it. But you know, he, he, he uses all the special operations guys in his movies, all the extras, but it was, he, he wanted to make sure it was right. And we wanted to make sure that dynamic was right. And we want to make sure the colors and think, cause people, most war movies are so drab, you know, and I get it. Iraq's dirty. Parts of Afghanistan, if you're in southern Afghanistan, they're dirty, there's dirt, but it's really not. And I, I think and I maybe expound on this a little bit, because uh, uh, my opinion and when I was whenever stuff started happening, whenever the adrenaline started kicking up, the colors resonated. Things opened up. It wasn't just, God, this is a dirty ass play. It's like, man, things just those colors were and, and the and the uh, and the uh, everything around you were so vivid and intense. And, and the dynamics between us and the CIA were so well, it was just like you saw in the movie. It was, it wasn't always nice, but you just saw it. Just it just it just was spot on. And, and I'm glad you said that because we we did take a lot of time to get that done. And I remember Tig also warning Michael Bay if he got it wrong. This was in Bay Studios. The first thing he said to Michael was, "Hey man, if you get this wrong, we're going to waterboard the shit out you." And I remember looking like, "Tig, did you just say that to Michael Bay?" But yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm like negative motivation. Yeah, negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, geez, that's Tig for you. But 
I, I do just and don't you know we, we got want to talk about a little bit more but I do want you if you could you know I, I know you've done some hits I know you've done plenty of them when you have and you've also sat in the jock and you've watched teams that you guys that you've gone on hits with and you've had to watch them from afar which is even more difficult because I know you wanted to get in there with them after but that's why you're in the jock because you've already been there and done that you need to lead troops from there and coordinate so you're two steps ahead of the game but um when you were doing it, did did you feel the same when you were about ready to enter a room or when you were going into an area that were hot was hot? Did did you feel that sense of man, blinders are off like that racehorse? The blinders are off and I'm really taking it all in, or was it just a blur to you? And I, I wanted to get into that a little bit because young guys will ask that to me a lot. And I just said what I think, but I that's I, my opinion. So I, I want because we have a long, a lot of young listeners that are thinking about the military as well. Um and, and they want to hear that stuff. And I think they should hear it. Not to not to uh, not to romanticize it because war's hell. People die. But just so they know. And, and can you maybe a little bit, maybe about a hit you did and don't have to get it. I don't want you to violate your national security clearances or anything, but just how your feeling was. You know, what did you feel? How did that go? Yeah. And, and I want, I'm always uh, not hesitant, but I'm always thoughtful about it, knowing what time does to memory and yeah, uh, yeah, how it yeah. tends to make it a little rosier than yeah. it was <laughs> yeah, or, it you know, those, those things that are just natural for uh, for all humans, regardless of what their past was or what their experience was or what they did before was uh, like right now, looking back, you know, Buzz wasn't that bad. Hell week, you know, hey, it wasn't that bad, <laughs> you know, but in it, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't, when I was in it, I think it was awful probably. But uh, so there is that to contend with as well but what i remember the most is just a distinct focus um there it is yeah of uh being responsible for those guys particularly i mean i felt it as an enlisted guy i felt it as an officer uh so that didn't really change i just i guess i felt it more uh the more people uh i had depending on sure yeah yep. my decisions um but it was an intense focus and i particularly remember uh ramadi 2006 2005 yeah. when the wow. i really started to come into yeah. the enforce I mean, they, they came in earlier obviously 2004 but but they really enforce uh as a tactical weapon of, of strategic importance um because of uh what it did to support for the effort uh yeah. on the public side of the house back here but uh every time you left the gate you could look at anything as an id whether it was yeah dead donkey or a piece of trash or, you know, just a pothole, whatever it was, uh, you could spend your time worried about that uh, and just solely focused on that. Well, guess what? My bandwidth then is not focused on the mission. It isn't focused on being situationally aware enough to know what's going on so that when the bullets started flying or something did happen, that uh, it would take away from me being able to adapt the best I could to whatever was happening to that particular situation. So well, when you ask that question, I think most about focus and being there, putting that uh, that charge on the wall on the door whatever it is uh, you know backing up a little bit and just remember that, like that second before it goes off and just that intense focus that comes with uh, with knowing what's going to happen like up until that point getting to and from the target anything can happen but right there you're making it happen once you put that charge on the door and go in so it's uh it's an intense focus is what I would say is what I remember uh, the most uh, uh, I, thanks bro I, I, I appreciate you doing that and, and at least letting all youngsters out there just prepare yourselves prepare yourself for what you're going to get into and, and listen to guys like Jack he, he's, he's going to tell you the truth from uh, and that you have both perspectives the enlisted and the officer perspective which which uh, which a lot of people don't have they aren't the mustangs so thanks Brent. i appreciate you doing that a little bit do absolutely. absolutely you know what i want to do uh ask you about kind of unrelated i mean you're a guy with your 20 years of experience who's seen international tensions boil pre 9 11 as you were saying and kind of with the current predicament we're in 
Um, I was recently recently watching a video, and I know Chris saw it too, with Gordon Chang talking about the COVID-19 situation. And one thing he said that I thought was interesting was that China has done what no other country has done before, and that's attack every other nation at once. <laughs> whether whether this was intentionally spread, which I'm not saying it is, but there was definitely some form of a cover-up until we found out the severity of COVID-19. And I think people are kind of on the edge of their seats of, is the U.S. going to enter in some kind of a war or foreign conflict with China? From your perspective, your experience, where do you think this is going? Well, I would hope that we take the lessons from this and apply them going forward at the strategic level, at the operational level, meaning kind of more local uh, type government level, and then as individuals, as families, as communities. Uh, what can we do uh, at all those different levels to be more prepared going forward, to adapt to what we've done and take those lessons and apply them in a positive way? Um, now, as far as so. When this hit, I was deep into research on my fourth novel, uh, which really deals with the ethics, morality, um, and legality of targeted assassinations, which is more typically associated with Israel than it is the U.S., but we do it as well, as we can point to last January with the Soleimani hit. But uh, the undercurrent of all that is a situation that includes the weaponization of infectious diseases. So I was studying that. I was studying what the Japanese did prior to World War II, what they did during World War II to the Chinese and where that information went at the end of the war, uh, what the Soviet Union did from the end of World War II up to the collapse, and then what happened to that information and what they continued to do into uh, with Russia. And then what our our infectious disease and weaponization program looked like from the end of World War II up to today. So I was hypersensitive when all this hit. But one thing that uh, came out in my study was that in the former Soviet Union, there were a couple instances where uh, an infectious disease escaped a lab. And it wasn't wasn't on purpose. And of course, it was covered up because and, it and was which the Soviet saying- Union is a possibility now. And that's not conspiracy theory of, you know, the Wuhan lab. Yeah. Right. And it's uh, it doesn't even have to be a weaponization. We don't even have to go to that. It can just be a no. study of an infectious disease. Uh, and that and, can and a study, get by the way, funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reading into this. yeah. I think most everything can trace its way back somehow to U.S. taxpayer <laughs> dollars. It's thrown all over the world. Uh, yep. you know, ugh, but uh, but I mean, that, that is a distinct possibility. And what makes me think that it's not intentional is that with an infectious disease or a weaponization of an infectious disease, part of that is that it's created to burn out so that it doesn't come back to the country that released it. So you want to target a specific city, a specific geographic location. So instead of coming over and bombing it, uh, just obliterating it and having to rebuild it, a infection, an infectious disease goes through kills everybody or kills however many that it's it's designed to, uh, but doesn't escape those borders and come back to the country and kill that country off. Um, so that's what makes me think that, hey, it's not, this wasn't intentional. Um, and plus that there have been many instances where infectious diseases have escaped laboratories and it has been suppressed by those governments. Um, so, so that's all a part of it. But uh, point being, I hope we learn from it. And, but do you, do you uh, see escalation between the U.S. and China leading to something like war? I mean, because there's people speculating on that. I think we were heading. We, there was there's always been tensions with China for a long time. And if you look at, let's say, the end, uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. And when we talk about uh, Russia, we talk about China. Uh, we started to change our language and discuss them as strategic partners rather than enemy. So they've never changed that language towards us. They've always looked at us as the enemy. We've looked at them as strategic partners. Uh, and that language was it was uh, intentional 
on the part of people, uh, of politicians in the U.S. to do that. But yeah. the but the, the second and third order effects of that is that we don't look at them as the enemy. We don't red sell things from their perspective and think of things and what could they be doing to us that are nefarious? What are they? They're thinking, and we always hear, yeah, China thinks centuries ahead. You know, well, we think in terms of elections, two years, four years. Yeah. Um, so uh, are, are things going to escalate? I mean, I don't know if it was only because of this, but things have there have always been tensions there. Yeah, it certainly doesn't make it any better. Enemy. So, yeah, it doesn't it uh, it adds another dynamic to it. But it I don't think it uh, it's all of a sudden. Oh, wow. Now. Now let's shift. And uh, and now it's time to get on a war footing. Um, it's just, you know, part of that mosaic and a part of uh, what, what should be incorporated into our strategic decision making going forward. Just another piece of that as we deal with China, as we deal with an adversary, uh, both on the economic front and yeah. militarily. Bro, I, I got nothing to add. That's perfect. <laughs> I feel I feel, yeah, like, no, I feel like I feel like old it's school. an interesting it's a perfect time. Answer. It, it really is, though. And, and I don't think anyone has any uh, any easy answers to what's going on. Uh, I definitely want people to check out the website, officialjackcar.com, at Jack Carr on Instagram, at Jack Carr USA, I should say, on Instagram and Twitter, two R's in car. And then also uh, on the website, you got different merchandise you could check out. Uh, and yeah, man, what, what's what are the plans for the future? Is there going to be a fourth book? And uh, anything you want to leave this audience with? I think there's been plenty of inspiration and, and also some great insight into your time. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, fourth book is in the works right now. And I'll be editing that over the summer and getting that ready for, I think, an April release. So that's that's uh, uh, on, on the schedule. And then I'll be uh, consulting on the script. So right now the uh, I did the first helped on the first pilot episode and there's eight to 10 uh, others. So it'll be an eight to 10 part series on Amazon. So I'm consulting on those scripts and I'm learning a ton and they're doing a fantastic job with it. So uh, those are the, those are the two main ones. And other than that, it's, it's juggling the family, juggling life, juggling those kids and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and doing all, doing all that just like everybody else. So uh, no, I sincerely appreciate you guys having me on. It's great to, great to talk to you and I hope we can do it again sometime. Oh, Jack, absolutely, thanks, man. Thanks. Bro. We'll do I, in, I, we'll do in studio and uh, yes, yeah, Savage Son out now you know what i have to ask something i don't know if chris has anything else but uh since you're a fan of the movie 13 hours this is your first time of you guys speaking together uh you know chris always says that pablo did a great job playing him in the movie now that you've talked to chris a little bit do, do you feel <laughs> like uh you know do you feel like he did a good job playing the guy well, now I'm going to watch it again, and I'm going to go back, and then I'm going to make my decision. So I'm going to take my breath, I'm going to look around, and uh, and then I'll get back to you. Hey, so, hey man, uh, Pablo did a fucking – Pablo, is, he did awesome. I love that, man. So I great. love Pablo. He's, he, he still – he put a different perspective to me of actors as well. All those guys did. They are – we're all tremendous individuals, Krasinski, Mac, and, and that being said, I, I, I admire them because they – I admire anybody that gives 110% and they did. And he he did. He 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 did a fantastic job by getting to know me. And, and we're still friends to this day. He's just a he's just a huge monster. I mean, the dude's just huge. He's a fucking just a beast. Uh, he's ugly as shit, though. And I'm good looking. <laughs> so I, I always say I'm, I'm better looking. He's just he's got the body. I don't. So it was a good trade off. No, Pablo, you're not. You're sexy. I'm kidding. But yeah. bro, I, I, I want to only thing I got to say to you again. And I, I know I'm, I'm giving you a lot of kudos. By knowing how your family is now, and I did not know that. To me, that that says says more about you than than being a seal from deploying. And I know how hard that is as well. And your wife and your family. 
Uh, I admire you, man. I, I, and I, people out there follow Jack because the, the dude's a tremendous individual and he's a, he's a tremendous person. And he, again, the switch, he turned the switch off cause he doesn't need it right now, he, but he can always flip that switch back on, but he's back and he's putting 110% in his family life. And, and he's got to, and to me, brother, that that's what I admire. So uh, con- congratulations. I wish nothing but the best for you and, and keep showing people how to lead them by example, by just showing them how good of a father and, and father you are and how good you're raising your sons and how hard that is by, you know, by the adversity you face. And you're still, you can tell in your voice, you're still, you're like, eh, I can take this. It's fine. I'm still positive. <laughs> I, and so I, I, I appreciate it, man. I really do. And, and, and I said, I, all my prayers are to you and uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best. And if you ever want to come back on the show, I ramble more than probably anybody you've ever been on an interview <laughs> with. So just deal with that, but just know you can ramble with me and, and, and say whatever the hell you want, but God bless you, man. You, you're, you're the man. I uh, really well done. Well, I sincerely appreciate that coming from you. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it again sometime. And hopefully we'll meet up uh, in person and, uh, yeah. and and do something fun. Got you, bro. God bless you. For man. sure. That was good, man. I, I really enjoyed having Jack on the uh, show. It's funny because you always have that inner, uh, you know, military special operations uh, br- branch rivalry. And uh, I think, you know, you're probably always skeptical if you're going to talk to a Navy SEAL. Is this guy going to be a douche? And, and well, it obviously <laughs> didn't feel that way. Well, I, and it's it's for we're going to give each other shit regardless. And I always did just because just because there are SEALs. What can I do? Man, it's just Rangers and SEALs. We, and you'll find that you'll find that rivalry with all of us. But when we get right down to it, a douche is a douche. A nice guy is a nice guy. It doesn't matter who, you, what branch, and that goes with Rangers too. And uh, and and obviously, no, dude, by all means, not. And well, you know what? It, I'll tell you this right from an outside perspective. I've I've grown to be friends with guys in pretty much all branches. And when I first became friends with all, you know, different guys like yourself, and I heard about the branch rivalry, I was like, this sounds so fucking stupid. Like the <laughs> Seals are this, and Army Rangers are this. But I have realized the more that I've met different people, some of those stereotypes are very true. And but, <laughs> yeah. but there's nothing wrong with it. Like there's guys I've met who are Navy SEALs who think they're the you know God's gift to Earth or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they're still nice guys. Uh, you know. So and and also I always hear. I don't know if this is a stereotype that from your perspective, but I've always heard it that like the um, Green Berets tend to be like the super intelligent guys who are like know different several different languages and. You know, when I talk to a guy like Terry Shepard or Derek Gannon, a lot of the Green Berets I know, they're, they're like some of the smartest, like most genius guys I've met. So, I, I, yeah, I, I, there, there's there's intelligence on all levels. I think to me, Green Beret, yeah, there's some and there's some that are dumber than a bag of hammers. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I, the, the, well, how we we'll go from a perspective and, and you know, I and yeah, we, we from the perspective from of, of from a guy that's been in, in there and looking on the outside and has worked with all of them, especially that's the blessing of being a contractor for so long too. I got to work with all the different branches of service because we all get, we all get lumped in together. Um, yeah. SF guys, they think they're extremely intelligent. <laughs> they, they are, they, but there are some that are, but there are some Rangers that are, man, that are, just brilliant and they're not oh, for sure. a lot of seals just, just not you but not just <laughs> not me just not me as you can tell my master and i'm breaking I, 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 no no i wasted a lot of money I, I i get the i get my vocabulary wrong all the time i i'm proving it right now i'm not a smart individual no, but, no, no, no. but 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 you know it, it it's it it is we but we're always going to rib each other but sf they, 
SF guys, they're the, they're the trainers. They're going to train the indigenous forces. Lick the finger, lick the finger, lick the finger. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, um, and you know, and yeah, seals seals are more of the it, 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 the stereotypes do fit on a for the groups, but individuals, you know, seals, yeah, they they are more of the I'm out here in the front, look at me, look at me sort of thing. But uh, but they're that is just the group itself. And then the rangers, I, you know, rangers are just we're just angry. We're just angry individuals that just complain all the time <laughs> that's just and, but then when you get us all together no it's not that way at all it's just the individuals it's just how the individual is and, and yeah, I, no, it's, yeah. it's like anything else man i think you know stereotypes are stereotypes but you should always treat everyone as an individual and that goes beyond the military i mean it goes to race religion all of that i think you know yeah Always treat the person as an individual. Don't go into there with preconceived notions. Um, you know, I can just tell you from my background, man, being in New York, I've I've met every, people of every different background, and you can't go out there and treat someone based on, you know, to me, this is my perspective. If they're a Muslim, if they're a Christian, I've met people of all different backgrounds that are amazing people and, and people that are dirtbags. And, yeah. you know, and it all goes back to just, who they are and their principles that they truly live by. And uh, I'm way more interested, kind of, as you said, with Jack uh, in how someone treats their family, how someone, um, you know, lives their life than the skin color they are or what branch they served in. But, and, and talking to, uh, yeah, talking to Jack here, that is overcoming adversity. I mean, it's difficult enough having young kids, but having uh, young kids with a special needs child too, and growing up like that. And, and then, him growing up, but then also the family having to deal with that and him coming back from deployments, which I, I know when you get back from a deployment, granted in the military, you have some decompression, but in the, in the special operations community, they don't give you, I don't, they don't give you as much because I really don't, you know, they're like, well, you just really don't need all that decompression. That's why you go through all that damn difficult training to begin with. You should already be able to handle the, the situation, get back home, but coming back home and then you, you really have to you have to stay on your a game because because you have to give your your son a ton of attention special needs son and then also like you said you got to balance it too because your focus can't be just on the on your your son that needs the most help or your daughter whoever it is because now you're not giving the attention that you're also just your your other children need they got to have it so um i i i i, it, I wish i had and i'm really which is odd. I, I don't have. A, I, I I'm having a hard time talking about it because I, I don't know how to. I really just don't don't know how to relate to it because I've never. Yes, been it's way. nothing either of us have experienced at all. Um, but I admire. I admire. I admire yeah, and and also and even and, and to be honest, the spectrum of special needs is an extremely wide spectrum. You know, so I've met people that I've that I have friends with. You know, who are special needs, and they have certain little things here and there that you're going to notice. But it seems like his son is way high on that spectrum of special needs. It's not just someone who uh, has trouble articulating something. He, you know, he needs someone, as Jack just said there, with him every second of the day. Right, and that makes him more a warrior than him going overseas. And anyways, and Ramadi in 2005, I was a contractor. I was with Blackwater in 2005 in Baghdad. Um, and Ramadi was, Ramadi was rough. There were IEDs, and that was when they were starting to figure out what EFPs was. Those are the... Uh, Oh man, explosively forced projectile platter charges. Basically, you put a copper piece over the explosive, so when it explodes, it turns into molten lava, and it will puncture. That's when they started to figure out how to puncture armor, and it would. Mm. It, it's so hot it goes through armor, and then once it goes through the armor, it cools, 
and it turns back into that steel projectile. They were crushing us with those, and not me personally. I never got hit with a platter charge. I'm not going to say I did or an EFP, but there were guys that were, and and so armor wasn't helping, and Ramadi was the hotbed for that at the time. So, you know, to him, for me to say, yeah, he he's a warrior. He 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 did awesome. He served in an area where it was probably one of the worst areas in the world at that point in time, if not the worst uh, in the Ambar province. But coming home then and being a father to to his child and, and having to deal with that mentally and emotionally after you're trying to come down from deployment, to me that makes him more of a warrior than going overseas any any of those deployments did. And I, again, I, I, I admire that because I had a hard time enough as it was just coming back and I had one child, he was, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. Then I have my daughter and my son. But I remember coming back from Baghdad after a year of being in Baghdad. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell tell the story. Um, my my wife's, my, my father-in-law was, was passing away and he didn't want to go stay in a hospice. He wanted to spend his moments here at the house at, with his daughter, with, with Tanya, because they were very close. And and uh, it was hard for me. I, I, I was so when I come back, I was so out of it. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be around a, a problem when I came home, which is what I felt it was. I was completely insensitive and I didn't know how to handle it. And it was one of my first deployments. So I, I, I was so awful mean because I was like, God, what, why is he here? Go put him in a, in a, in a care home. So I don't want him here. You know, I, I don't want to deal with death. I'm dealing with death for a year. And, and for, and that, that's, that was my mistake. I learned from it and I was a terrible person because of it. But that's what I'm saying. Jack coming back after all that, seeing all that death, coming back and having to deal with adversity again, where you come home from a deployment, you don't deal with adversity. You want to decompress. But him being able to handle it and still be a good father, that that's amazing to me because I, I wasn't able to do that with with uh, when I had adversity coming back home. And it, it, and I honestly, I, I stayed home for 30 days. I went back out the door because like, fuck this. I'm not staying here. I'm out. And I left because I was like, if I'm going to deal with adversity, at least I'm going to go overseas and, and, and yeah. do my job and get. So, uh, bro, that's why it's amazing to me. And I think that's why you found me a little bit just in awe a bit. Because <laughs> I, 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 I've been I've been there. Not it's different circumstances, but I've been there where you come home and you still have to deal with adversity at home when you've been gone overseas. And during that 2003, four, five, that was Iraq was a busy, busy ass place. It was just a lot of carnage going on coming back home and having not being able to decompress man uh, it's amazing to me and and you know and, and he's still with his wife so obviously he handled it well because if they didn't they would have been divorced they would have they would have which me and my wife actually ended up you know i think that was part where we where we where we separated then divorced because of that and then of course we reconciled because i finally got my shit together but but um it's just amazing. So, so I, I know I'm, I'm going in that spiel, but uh, Jack, I no, know no, no. And, and his people wife's like, like to hear there. it, man. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I, I really do. I, and, and no, no guys, guys also, when you're coming home and listening to those stories, Jack handled it the right way. I didn't learn from my mistakes and, and learn from Jack of how he handled it and realize that your family, yeah, your family is the most important. And I love that he said the switch. I flipped the switch. I flipped the switch off. <laughs> you guys actually up. seem the same in that aspect because you've talked about, you know, that at a certain point you burnt out of doing deployments, of doing contracting, and you said this is what You're I'm done. devoted to now. And yeah. I think a lot of guys still have like one foot in, one foot out. They yeah. they yep. aren't yep. Yep. sure if they want to transition to doing something else. They kind of want to be back. Um, even, you know, our, our friend like Drew Dwyer, you know, rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. I think 
at the end there, he was like, you know, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And I think he was kind of leaning in that direction of going on deployments again, like so many other guys that we know. You're and right, uh, yeah. I think it's it's tough for some people. And both of you seem to decisively have that idea of, all right, this is the next chapter for him. It was writing fiction books and for you doing public speaking, doing public speaking and, and teaching. Yeah, teaching. Yeah. And you have to. That's why guys that have the most problems that can never and you see they they live all their lives and they still can never handle that of, of leaving the lifestyle, the deployment lifestyle. That's what it is that you, you have to make a decision for you guys out there. If there, if you've done enough and I've said it before, I think we even said it on one of the first podcasts or one yeah. of the second ones where we talked about Drew. It's dude, guys that have been going down range, guys have been doing stuff, uh, men and women, because there's women deploying all the time too now. And sometimes they're getting into it. They're getting into, into just as much combat as guys, as men. Um, but there comes a time where you've got to say, all right, I'm done. And and if you can't say that I'm done, well, then you got to say, well, OK, I'm going to continue to deploy. And if my marriage falls apart, if my wife doesn't want to, that's part of the deal you have to deal with. You, you can't have it all. Guys, there's these human beings, free will that your yeah. partner, you can't have it all. If, if No, it's true. And, and actually, to go back to one of our episodes, you know, the one guy we had on who decisively has said, I am not going to go back to any other lifestyle is Dale Comstock. Dale yeah, said on yeah. the show that he loves the life he lives and all that, but it's a fact that Dale's, Dale's yeah. children and his ex-wife are in the U.S. while he's in another country. So you're spot on. But, but, and he, but he's happy because he made that decision. I, and what's not, but there's sacrifice to that, but there's sacrifice exactly. kids like you are. Exactly. And that's where you have to, and the sacrifice on, my end and Jackson, even though we don't see it that way because we're happy where we're at. I am. I'm, I love being home is that I don't get to go deploy anymore. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm okay with that. And you know, that's where Dale is Dale. I can't speak for Dale, but I'm sure he's okay with what not seeing us. And that's not derogatory. He's just accepted. Okay. This is what I have to accept if I want to continue to deploy and work, but you hit a nail right on the head that people have the most problems. And I I've never said it this way. And I don't know why I haven't, I'm going to from here on out. Thanks for <laughs> saying that is that when you have half one foot in one side, and one foot in the other, yeah. you can't, you, you have to make a decision, get home and be a family man and move, you're right. Close that chapter and start a new one or, Stay in another chapter and continue to write it, but realize that most likely, and I'm not saying every, in all cases, most likely you're not going to have a family life and you're not going to be able to see your kids. And that's one of, I, I, I always said, and you see all the interviews, I said, I've never regretted anything in my life. I never have. I'll tell you one thing, as I get older now and I see my son, Christian, 15 years old, I see him continue to grow. I do have a regret. I regret and seeing and being able to spend time now with my four year old, how much fun that is. And I love seeing him grow up. I do regret not being able and being home with my son and watching him grow up, my 15-year-old, because I, I didn't enjoy when he was younger years because I was never home. Not that but you know what I think it goes to is is uh, I, I think for you know people into spirituality like both of us, uh, you know God has made us all of us very stubborn yeah. people, and and we need to like go through hell to realize uh, yeah. you know what yeah. our mistakes. And and had you have not gone through that, it's safe to say you wouldn't have valued the time with your youngest yeah, kid. Right. Uh, you wouldn't have learned any other way because we're stubborn. All of us are. We are. I got to stick. I got to stick my hand on the stove to burn the shit out of it just to yeah. learn that the stove is hot. But and, and I'm the was, same way. I have plenty of experiences that I've never talked about on here, but I I know exactly where you're coming. 
And, and that's just personal growth, just just fucking up and making the same mistakes again and again. And even even I've said with this whole COVID-19 thing, especially New York, it got me completely back to bad habits I had and, <laughs> you know, waking up super late and not being motivated and, you know, just fucking around, man. And uh, I'm I'm getting back actually right now to my to my old self. So um, that, and that's you awesome. Know, you're, and, you're, and you're, adapt, you're learning. Adapt. That's all. Yeah. It, but uh, no, it's it, it happens to I think all of us. And I think that's why. Yeah, actually, I think it's why podcasts are so appealing to so many people right now, because we get into this type of stuff. And and, you know, you watch the news, you watch a lot of uh, other stuff. Everything is perfect. And yeah, and not not at this point, but you know what I mean? Um, you feel if you're stacking yourself up to people like on Instagram and it's yeah. the highlight yeah. real of their life. And the truth is, everybody goes through different things, whether you're a military veteran or just, you know, or if you're someone who works at Walmart and had a bad day or something, we all go through different things that manifest in different ways and yeah adapting and overcoming and and, and that you gotta learn from it and i'm glad you said that dude and you are you you went through the bad habits now you're realizing well guess what i gotta be so i gotta i, I gotta be self-motivating now i don't have to be anywhere so to get my workout in or to get my I, i've got to be able to get up and say you know what i really don't have to work out because nobody's forcing me to i don't have to go into the office because nobody's forcing me to. So guess now I got to force my own self to get out there and go work out or go be proactive or productive. And uh, military guys are great. I I am. I mean, I, I got 11 hours of sleep. I, I got it last night, but <laughs> I ran five miles of hills yesterday. I worked out for two hours. Um, I did work on my computer that I need to do. I'm, I'm back to insurance adjusting. So I'm reading the claims manual so I can, because when that starts, I, I need to know all, I got to remember all that stuff. So, but I'm doing that on my own. Nobody's telling me to do that. Which, yeah, this is a perfect opportunity for people to become self-starters and not have somebody, not have to feel like you have to do it because somebody's telling you to do it, but you're doing it because you want to better yourself and because nobody else is telling you to do it. And if I don't, I'm just going to go down that slippery slope and turn into a big lop of shit like the guy at the end of Dodgeball, like Ben Stiller's character at the end of Dodgeball, where he's where he's lost and he's, he turns into, you know, just his life goes to shit. And he's, he turns into this this blob that's sitting there eating <laughs> I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. It's true. But, but, I've I've been uh, actually the past couple of weeks more busy than ever, man. I'm doing um voiceover for actually awesome. a podcast series that awesome. uh, maybe I'll be able to show you guys. It, it's um different stories about survival. It's pretty cool, actually. Like I I read one about a guy in Canada who did like outdoor exploration stuff, was trapped in the wilderness with his dog for several days. And as crazy as it is, had to eat his dog in order to survive. And wow. uh, it's it's the only reason he survived. And when he, uh, you know, when he was discovered, he was saying, I miss my dog, you know, want to get another dog. And some animal rights activists were giving him shit for it. And But he did it 100 percent to survive. You know, it wasn't yeah. it, it wasn't something that he did as a cruelty thing. He treated his dog like, you know, anybody else, like a member wow. of the family. So I've been, I've been reading uh, that type of stuff for this upcoming series. And, and as you know, uh, stuff that I don't even need to get into, but, but similar to you, um, working on some other things that I may be doing in the future and, you know, trying to get the workouts in now doing two podcasts a week, reaching out to different sponsors and all that, and, and trying to get excitement for this up. So yeah, I'm, I'm as busy as ever and it feels good. I'm looking forward to being back with uh friends doing normal things again but i you can't think about it too much because it, it goes back to that whole thing we have no control over it so why stress out over it uh, bro and that's what everybody should be doing and 
Jack, another theme, even though we say it in different ways, you know, uh, Ted said it, you know, and I, I always call it maintaining that initiative. You had, of course, um, who was our guest before that? Gosh, Jim West said it before oh, yeah. that. It's, it's, you know, he was, he said the same thing. So, and I, I always equate it to that car analogy. You have that foot on that gas pedal and you're revving the shit out of that engine. So once the, the once the light turns green, you're off and running. Well, that's what Jack's doing too. He's doing the same thing. He, he's, he's being proactive. He's, he's getting prepared for when he can get out there and do the book signings. He's doing what he can right now, but he's already ready. So when, when the light turns green, he doesn't have to say, okay, what do I have to do now? What do I need to do to get this going? It's like, it's already in place. He's just waiting for the word to go. He's in that, that horse, that, that horse in that starting gate, waiting for the gate, gate to drop so he can take off running. And, and he's not only overcoming the adversity, he's preparing to excel when the adversity finally ends. And it will. It will I don't know when it is, but it will. And he's going to take off. And that's, that's the, that is the key to being successful to me and for anybody to be successful. Don't wait till it ends and figure out, okay, what do I do now? Already have that plan in place so when whatever the adversity is ends and it does end, you're just off and running and you're, you're, you've got that head start. And he said it too. Every one of our guests, uh, everyone has said something similar to that, but that's why we have them on. And that's why all of them, even though they've been through adversity, they've all been successful in their own, in their own genre, in their own area. And I'm not talking about money. I don't think money makes has, is a, is a, is a measure of success. It can come with it, but just being happy and having that motivation to move on and being self-motivated, that is successful to me. And every one of our guests has been that way, brother. I, I, I can't think of one that, that isn't, I'll be honest with you. I it can't. So, uh, um, man, uh, tremendous, man. I, and I, I'm still, I, again, I still admire, admire all of our guests. And I, I didn't say enough about Jim West either. Same kind of guy, all <laughs> yeah. so much adversity and he just is plowing through that and he's just kicking ass. And I, he, that dude is again, for all of us in the community, he's a mentor guy you want to look up to. So, yeah. Yeah. Check out those old podcasts if you haven't. Um, this has been a lot of fun, man. And, and you know what? It actually may be a time that more and more people are checking out books and reading fiction books, yeah. um, you know, because they, they have the time to. And who wants to stare at the TV all day? It's probably not the best. That, I know it's not the best <laughs> thing to do. So, uh, yeah, with that, man, um, once again, you know, check out Everyday Grind Coffee. Use coupon code BATTLELINE for 20 percent off. Uh, also, we've got shirts now. Uh, Tonto Dash Apparel dot my shopify.com i love the shirts that we've done with the uh, next level they're apparel awesome. oh, for uh, awesome. battle line podcast yeah aaron Lauder did a great job designing those shout out to him uh so i'll have a link in the uh, bio tonto dash apparel dot my getting back in studio and and when we are when i'm back in studio i'll try to have like all in studio guests for a while because I do miss that that like real life interaction, <laughs> seeing someone the way that we were with Andre Olavsky, and, and I've been with so many other people. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? Last thing uh, you've been you've been saying, uh, 14th hour is doing a lot of work with what's going on right now. Just go into the Google, put in the search bar, search bar 14th hour foundation. If veterans or first responders are having problems paying their bills, it's just get on the get on the website there and and go ahead and apply for a grant. And, um, you know, just prove your time and service, prove your prove that you didn't have a dishonorable discharge. But if you did, I'll, I'll still hear you out because I know I know guys make mistakes. I know there are things that happen. But as long as you weren't criminally charged with anything, <laughs> same as first responders, 
and I think that goes with most foundations. Um, you're, which bro, I'm, I'm just, I got to put that out there just so you know, but I, that uh, go ahead and apply for a grant and we'll, we've got money in there to help you out. And then, nice. you know, when we, when we run out of money, well then we run out of money. That's, but we always get good people found uh, good people out there donating. And, uh, I've had that foundation now for three years I don't promote it a ton. It, it's tough. That's a double-edged sword. Well, it's a small. Founder. It's a smaller organization. It is. It it is. And and uh, you know, it, it's it's another thing where I just I want people to find out about it word of mouth to know that we're helping you. And we yeah, we've we've helped a total amount of fifty grand in the last two years that have been that, that we've been able to give out to to veterans and first responders and also other foundations. Uh, I'll donate to another foundation too if they need money to help out, and we've done fifty. Actually, it's even more than that, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and to been able to give out to help people and other foundations. And I, I, I don't, pay, I don't take a dime. I get, I don't take. Me and my wife, my wife runs runs the majority of it now. Tanya does an awesome, awesome job. But um, yeah, I, we don't, uh, we don't take a dime from it. I don't think foundations should be taking money. No, no. Uh, for it now. I can tell you. Uh, you know, I've I've heard all different things, man, from all those organizations. Uh, so yeah, and no, I, I I know from experience. Uh, you know, Mark Slaughter, who who did the outro yeah. music on yep, this. Yep, yep. Uh, he, you know, he wanted that money when he put that out. I never given up to go to military charities, and he said, you know, Wounded Warrior Foundation and the bigger organizations were giving him the runaround. And so, you know, I I've heard I've heard the stories. And, and you know, you just have to do your due diligence. Some out there have been doing real well, but most do take a do take a huge chunk and i should um, say it's wounded were a project right i'm, I'm like a mixing wounded war yeah be, wounded like, war yeah wounded there's so many dang shadow wars wounded war shadow war project all the but wounded war project the big one uh and they but they do give a ton of money out too but yeah they they've but been there's busted. people making money yeah oh a lot six figures dude and they're doing six figure they used that was the big thing in the news remember that where wounded war project was that's when people started to find out that maybe they weren't on the up and up as they did a huge party in Las Vegas where it was a six figure party fundraiser where they spent over, you know, over hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then they started finding out money was going into guys' pockets and then guys were fired. All you can search all that guys. But that's where I started also to pay attention a little bit better too. And that's also when I started my foundation. It's like, so well, screw this. I'm not, if this is how it is, I'm I, I, something needs to be out there where, it's actually a foundation where money's going to guys and nothing's going in anybody's pockets. And that's why we did it. So, uh, yeah, but, but please, a uh, 14th hour foundation guys, if, if you're having issues paying your bills, um, we also help with the uh, tuition. Uh, we also help with uh, other foundations. If you need money to help people that are looking for, looking for money from your foundations. And actually that's, that's so easy. It's just to enter transfers. Like, Hey, your foundation, give me your 501c3, got it, and I'll just send you money to your foundation, yeah. and you you push it out there. And, uh, yeah, we do that with Regroup, which is done by Antonio Ruiz, uh, Doc Ruiz, Antonio Ruiz, who's uh, who runs Regroup Foundation. Uh, he's a former ranger as well. And uh, and then we also do it with Tiggs Foundation, Beyond the Battlefield, where we take, we work very close with Margaret Teague and my wife and Margaret work very close together. And we do help each other out on our – Which on, which I think they project. changed the name of, if I remember, when Tiggs was on, right? What did they change Because didn't now? they – or is that the changed name? Because I just remember we no, were talking about this when he was on with us. I, I wanted – no, it's, I still believe it's Beyond the Battlefield. You're, I, pro I wanted, you're probably right. I just remember it was uh, – 
Let me see. Because now I'm curious because I know that we talked about it with Do you have your computer there? Can you search it out? Yeah, I'm on on the computer here. But, uh, yeah, so I think it's is the Tegan Foundation, the TeganFoundation.org. Okay, so yeah, um, I, I think it's still called Beyond the Battlefield, but they had to change the Yeah, uh, the, I see on here website. it says Beyond Beyond the they, Battlefield, the Tigan Foundation. But the, yeah. yeah, they they just had because something I, that's right. They're uh, the website domain. Somebody had taken that domain, so they had to change the domain name. But either way, Brad, that's another great foundation if you, if you're looking for money to help out. And Margaret, Margaret runs it runs it well. Margaret is is a tremendous individual and a tremendous wife. Believe me, she has to put up with Tig's ass. She is a <laughs> tremendous tremendous wife. Yeah, if, yeah, you know, if you're able to help out and it's a worthy cause, then that's what we'll do. And these are crazy times for the country, so it's great that people like you are doing things. I appreciate it. Uh, that's and that's my thank my wife. She really <laughs> takes she takes uh, takes a lot of pride and pride in that. And she really keeps me uh, keeps me honest, keeps me busy on that foundation. So uh, if you need it, go ahead, guys. If not, you know, and and you feel like you can donate a little bit to it, go ahead. Every little bit helps, and we're all just grassroots. Yeah, we do grassroots fundraising. Um, I, Eddie Ranji out of Iron Gal Farms did do a huge. Uh, that was fun. He did do a huge. He do, he donated a old truck that we uh, we actually went on uh, on and auctioned it off on what's. There's a big auction show on NBC Sports. It's always on. And, um, there, how oh, my why can't I remember it? That one of the big oh, auctions. No. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's a huge car auction. It's always on TV, and he donated a truck, and we were able to auction it off. Uh, this was la- uh, last right almost almost a year ago, and you know raised about twenty grand with that truck. And Eddie Ranji out of Iron Gal Farms is a huge huge donator for a Fourteenth Hour Foundation. He's always put money, and he's him. He's probably one of our uh, our biggest uh, our biggest. Uh, um, biggest donators that we have and he keeps it going and it, yeah it's it's it, we just do what we can man we do what we can 100 percent um we have some great guests lined up for the rest of the month and uh yeah keep checking us out if you have any questions for the podcast email battlelinepodcast at gmail.com we get to what we can i'm looking forward to hopefully being back in studio soon we really should be i mean i'll be honest like you've been to that studio it's not a whole lot of people in there yeah, they clean everything super nicely. So I would hope that that will be in, you know, whatever phase of opening is next. And uh, yeah, man, this this was great. Uh, definitely excited for what's to come the rest of the month. I'm enjoying two shows a week with you. Yeah, well, well we, you get the setup. Just tell me who's on next. You know, I never <laughs> know until the week before. But uh, thanks to Jack again for being on. And, and you know, I, thanks to Uncle Ted as well earlier in the week. And yep. before that, Jim, I mean, we, we've had some some great guests and I hope people are are listening to us and, and uh, appreciate our sponsors out there too. All of us, especially uh, we had, we had everyday grind coffee and Josh is outstanding and, and guys coffee it up, coffee it up right now, man. They need it and make some sweet, sweet coffee for y'all. And um, got battle line course. I believe we got one coming up in Chicago. It's coming up at the end of May. If, if Illinois lets us have it and battle line tactical. So check out battle line tactical. We actually got a ton of pictures up and you'll also see some of the patches that Patch Ops makes for Battleline Tactical. As far as they make our 14th hour patch, the Battleline Tactical patch, and the Battleline Combatus patch, and then go on their website as well and check them out too.
That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we have new shows up every Monday and Friday, so make sure you're subscribed. And keep up with the show 24-7 on Facebook and Instagram at Battleline Podcast. Also on Twitter at Battleline Pod. As always, never quit. Yeah.